Hello, welcome to the 50th episode of Scratching the Surface. I am Jarrett Fuller, and this is my podcast about design criticism and practice. This is a really special episode. Not only is this the 50th episode, but it also marks one year since the podcast began. So today we're doing something a little bit different. Michael Beirut returns to the podcast, but this time he is sitting in the interviewer's chair and talks to me about my background and why I started the podcast, how my definition of graphic design has evolved, and what I've learned from one year of recording these conversations. Essentially, you know, all the questions that I ask everybody each week, he kind of turns the tables and, and uh, forces me to answer them. One of my goals in each interview that I do is to hear the person that I'm talking to say something that I've never heard them say before. I, I want to ask probing questions and for the conversation to be as engaging for them as it is for me, but also so that you as a listener can hear uh, some new perspectives from voices that you may already know. And Michael did that with me here. He asked some really great questions and this conversation uh, even though it was awkward for me to be the one doing all the talking, this conversation really helped me articulate things that I've been thinking a lot about lately. He has been a listener and a supporter of the podcast since the beginning, and so I am so grateful for his time and love that he was able to help celebrate one year and 50 episodes with me. I also just want to take a moment and thank all of my previous guests. It's seriously is because of them that this even exists and that we're here right now. And so I am so grateful for their generosity. And as you know, this started as a thesis project when I was in grad school at MICA. And I also want to take a moment and just thank everyone there who helped and had a hand in shaping this project. Some of them you heard on previous episodes, like Ellen Lupton and Christian Bjornard and Abe Berickson. But there are also other professors and advisors like Jennifer Cole Phillips and Jason Gottlieb and Lindsay Ballant and my classmates who listened to early episodes and gave feedback and my friend Andy who composed our original music. Uh, There are just so many people who have contributed to this that uh, often go unnoticed. And thanks to you. Some of you have been here from the beginning. Some of you maybe just started listening last week, but it means so much to me that you come back each week and participate in the discussion in various ways. You know, uh, even though my name is on the cover and it's my voice you hear each week, this podcast literally would not be possible on my own. So thank you so much for making one year and 50 episodes possible. So Here's to one year, here's to 50 episodes, here is to the next year and the next 50, here's to graphic design and those of us who love it, and especially those of us who love talking about it. And here is me being interviewed by Michael Beirut. Why did you embark on this project in the first place? That's a great first question. (laughs) Uh, And how far back, how far back do you want me to go? Um, Go back as far as you want. Go back to your childhood if you want. I mean, so I, I've told this story before on the podcast, but I kind of realized that I wanted to be a designer when I was in high school. And this was in the early 2000s. And um, I actually think I told you this because I kind of remember sitting in the same spot 
Um, grew up in suburban Pennsylvania, had never met a graphic designer before, but this thing called graphic design was this thing that I kind of had always done. And then there was a moment, I don't know exactly what that was, where it suddenly clicked that this was a thing I could do. Never met a real graphic designer, so I kind of went online and you know typed in graphic design and found all of these blogs, uh, Design Observer, Speak Up, and just spent all my time reading those. So interestingly, you found not just pictures, but words. Yeah. And you found yourself gravitating to the words as much as the pictures, as, more than the pictures? As, as much, I would say. I would not say more. Um, and it, it was very interesting because, you know, I was interested in music packaging and all that stuff that high school kids who become graphic designers are into. And then suddenly I found this other thing where it wasn't just about the visuals. And I loved all the visuals, but then there was all this other stuff that yeah. people were talking about that I had no idea existed and that this stuff could mean something. And that, I don't think I knew that at the time. I don't think I knew that's what I was reading, but I was very drawn to that yeah. at a very early age. And did you perceive that at the time as being quote-unquote critical discourse? Or, or let me put it another way. How, to what degree do you perceive this being quote-unquote critical discourse, whatever we decide we mean by that? Yeah. And to what extent did it just seem exciting to you that there was a community and there were human yeah. beings with ideas That's a great behind that work? Yeah, I don't think I knew that it was critical discourse. I don't think I would have used the term design criticism. It was just, uh, yeah, it was the community. And I think I'm also just naturally the kind of person that likes to know why I like the things that I like, yeah. you know? And so you can take this with any of my interests. I always would read about them. I, I've always just read a lot. So it was listening to an album, I'd read all the reviews around that. So that's always just been something that I did. And then now there was a thing that I was making and I could read people talk about the making of that. And it just kind of enriched that interest that I had. And, and do you remember, um things you read even in high school that had, um, that, that sort of like went, went deeper? Because a lot, a lot of, yeah. I, I noticed that a lot, of, when I listen to your interviews, a lot of what you are, there's always this either sometimes expressed or unexpressed <laughs> yearning for a kind of depth or seriousness right. to right. the way we talk about particularly graphic design criticism. That when I think back on your, yeah. when were you in high school, what years? Uh, 2000. I graduated in 2007. So it was so, like the early, like yeah. the mid-aughts. Yeah, say, yeah, right? yeah. So like in those days, like if you went to speak up, and even Design Observer a little bit more so, but certainly it was, a lot of it was just people yammering about logos and stuff. It wasn't particularly deep or analytic. Yeah. And even at Design Observer, we weren't trying to write for an academic audience. We were writing right. for a popular audience. Right. And I don't think, um, I have two, two answers to that question. I don't think... I don't think I would have said that I was interested in a deeper discourse then. I just liked reading about kind of where typefaces came yeah, from. Yeah. And I mean, I remember, uh, I mean, now I'm drawing a blank to specifics, but even kind of the way the industry works yeah, yeah. and things like, um, you know, during kind of like sustainability and social good, I remember when that was kind of big yeah. and that stuff was very interesting to me. Um, and then I liked reading the critiques of posters and things. Yeah, yeah. I, I was really into that. Um, and I started my own blog on like Blogspot when I was, you know, 14 years old that I don't think anyone <laughs> read. And I would write these things. I was very interested in, in um, 
pieces about the industry also mm -hmm. and kind of how we work yeah. and the future of how we work and then the visuals. And it wasn't until, I'm jumping out of order, yeah, go ahead. Uh, but it wasn't until I graduated college as a graphic designer and started working where that depth, that interest in, in a kind of deeper discourse came from. And I think that's because, it's hard for me to say, but when I think ab about it myself, I felt like I had kind of gone through this education. I had been kind of reading all of these things. I was very interested in uh, the theoretical side. And then I would go to work and I was just a decorator yeah. is what it often felt like. And I also, my kind of only career has been in-house. So there were kind of style guides already in place. So there was only so much flexibility to, that I had and it was just kind of layout and there was no, I had great jobs. I'm not, oh, yeah. you know, putting those down at all, but it wasn't intellectually interesting anymore. It yeah. was just arranging things on a page or on a screen. And that's when I started feeling like, is there more to this? Because I'm not sure if this is actually what I'm interested in. It's just kind of figuring out how to, you know, put these five things together on a page. Right, right. And, and not only that, but use, um, between your uh, undergraduate education and your work experience, you felt you had mastered, you must have felt to a certain degree you had mastered that, and is that all there is? Yeah, yeah, yeah. and there was a great, I remember listening to uh, an interview with Ira Glass where he talked about, he was talking about like 20 years of This American Life or whatever, and he said the way you have a sustained creative career is you keep making the job harder for yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and that really clicked for me because, and I mean, I don't want to say that I was a master designer or anything, but I definitely felt like what I was doing, I could do that. There was no yeah. kind of thought to it. Yeah, exactly. So um, when you, did you realize that, um, that you diagnosed yourself and did you realize the cure was graduate school or was yeah, you, yeah, yeah, you play yeah, around yeah. a little bit trying to figure um, that out? Uh, a little bit of both. I always wanted to teach also, so I knew graduate school was a part of my career somewhere. I knew I wanted to go into academia and I just loved, I always loved being in school and around school. Uh, so I knew I was going to go back and I had a, my like sophomore or junior year undergrad, one of my professors was like, you know you're going to go to graduate school, mm -hmm. like you're not done here. Yeah, yeah. And so that was kind of always in the back of my head. Uh, but then I was looking around to try to figure out, you know, who are people that are doing things that look interesting to me and how do I kind of have that kind of career. Uh, and I landed on graduate school because it seemed like two years where I could really figure it out. Because I knew in the abstract what I wanted, but I didn't know how to describe it or uh, talk about it. Right. And so that seemed like a place that I could kind of, you know, explore that a little bit. Yeah. So even when you got, when you arrived at graduate school, when you were applying, did you sort of have a, did you, did you sort of have a game plan about, did you know how you were going to execute your plan at that point? No. I knew, I, I went to school saying, I want to figure out how I can be a practicing designer, how I can teach, and then how I can write or do this kind of critical thing and that those are not three separate activities. Mm -hmm. That's kind of all I, I knew. I wanted to do those three things to form some sort of career. So I knew I was very interested in the, the discourse yeah. going into it, but I did not know how that was gonna turn out or, or how I was gonna do that. 
Yeah, and and did you did you have different <coughs> ideas that you tried first? I mean, when you arrived at graduate school, you must have done what people in their first yeah. year of graduate school did. Right? Yeah, and I definitely like there was definitely a a, a bit of a. That's a, a really funny <laughs> question, actually, because there's definitely like an imposter syndrome also, because I then thought I like had to perform like I was being that type of designer yeah. that <laughs> I wanted to be. Yeah. And so suddenly my work was very different. And, mm -hmm. and, and, you know, you're kind of like trying on these different clothes. Right. Um, but I really thought. I really thought that I, I was going to leave graduate school with some sort of book. That's mm -hmm. kind of in my mind what I thought this was going to be or what I had to do was write some sort of book uh, and that I, that my career was moving away from being just a designer to a writer right, or a right, critic right. or something like that. And then I got there and I started, you know, trying on these different clothes and realized that I actually still loved design mm -hmm. and the, the process of design. Uh, and that's kind of when I realized that what I was doing before was kind of decorating and was not, it wasn't finding the right, right parts. Right. Uh, so then, then it became very much, okay, how do these things fit together? Started thinking about my thesis and kind of really what I wanted to focus on. And I knew this idea of criticism was something that was important to me, but even that I didn't know kind of what that meant. Uh, and it wasn't until I made this video essay at mm -hmm. the end of my first, uh, at the end of my first year, uh, kind of as the beginning, as I started working on my yeah. thesis. And I, you know, for that, I was really interested in other mediums to talk about these things. And that was a big turning point for and, me. And the, and the video essay, as I recall, more or less was an exploration of an idea. What about using video yeah. as a means to talk about critical graphic design? Right, that's right. Right. Uh, and it was, it was, yeah, it was, does it have to be an essay or yeah. uh, a tweet or whatever? Yeah. Or can it actually be, we are visual people, can our criticism take the form of, uh, you know, visuals right, in a way right. also. And so it was this kind of meta video essay about video essays and how could that fit into design. And that, that was a, I mean, I can't overstate kind of how much of a turning point that mm -hmm. was for me for a couple reasons. One, um, it felt like a success and that maybe this is an interesting medium to work in video. Uh, and then it, went around the internet in a way that other things I had made had not, uh, which told me that there were kind of other forms that might travel better. And something that was really important to me is that I didn't just want to reach the people who already were interested in design criticism. Right. I wanted it to be something that was kind of accessible for, for everyone. And that video hit those types of people. Mm -hmm. And so that got me thinking, you know, what are other, yeah, yeah ways that I could do that. And that's kind of where the the thesis, which then became this project, kind of came right. from. So, but, but why didn't you make more videos? I've tried. <laughs> I've really tried. And that's, I mean, that's probably like the one failure of it. Is it there? No, it's not a failure. It's just a question. It's, it's a choice. Uh, I have, uh, I mean, on my computer, I have like four You can return to that. Yeah. Yeah. There's, I have ideas for them. The, the, the work going into them, that is the downside. Yeah. So they do take a lot more work. Um, and then I had one that was getting really far along on, um, on a kind of fake news. This was kind of right yeah. post-election and the design angle on that. Uh, and all my footage was kind of like post-election and then it was making me depressed. And I was like, I don't want to work on this yeah. right now. But it's funny. There is a kind of, well, I mean, 
the video essay is is a um, you know is a is a form that you know in part it has just because it's video has the expectation of being timely in a way yeah, and yeah. so um, yeah it, you could almost say it it sort of ages more quickly than almost any other medium yeah partly, yeah you know you can see people's haircuts you know the yeah. music choices sound uh, dated you yeah. know, the uh, it sort of bears a style that kind of will sort of age more quickly than a written essay or a podcast, which is right. what you ended up right. deciding to do. And even that, even the podcast was kind of an accident. And I think, I think probably when I emailed you and my kind of first group of guests, um, I said that these were interviews that were going to eventually become a book and that the podcast was going to be this kind of promotion for this book, yeah. but it was all going to be into this physical format. And then I realized you know, five or six in that, wait, you know how the essay, the video essay kind of like went around the internet? Yeah. Maybe a podcast would do that too. Yeah, no. And then it kind of shifted and that became yeah, the main yeah. focus of it. So that even wasn't really, I didn't go in saying I'm making a podcast, but uh, that's kind of what it became. And it became, once it that was decided, it was a very logical form for what I was trying to do. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm actually struck by uh, as one of your early interviews yeah. interviewees I'm struck by how many subjects you found to interview and having listened to most of them um, some of them were you know what I would consider the usual suspects and people I'd heard uh, right. read and heard of and already familiar with and there's a certain interest in having someone go deeper with something you already know yeah. but I've just has frequently been pleased and surprised by a, a name will show up in the feed on scratching service someone I've never heard of before. Yeah, yeah. And you've actually taken a role at introducing these new voices to people that I think is pretty uh, remarkable. That that means a lot. First of all, like that's that's the best compliment uh, that I could get because when I talked to Randy Nakamura, who um, was maybe episode twenty or so. Yeah. Uh, so I had some out, but, but when I interviewed him, he he was one of the first people I interviewed where the episodes were already released. So uh -huh. when I talked to you, you had no yeah, idea yeah. what this was going to be or what these were going to sound like or anything like that. And he, because he knew, he had listened, and he said, what's great is that you're kind of creating this survey of contemporary design discourse for this moment yeah. that someone can just jump into anyone and figure out what are people talking about right now? Who are the voices you should be listening yeah. to? And that became a kind of direction for me of, I'm kind of surveying everybody from all points in their career, not just getting the people you know, but introducing other people, getting people who maybe are a little bit outside of the profession that we have something to learn from. Uh, so I'm glad that that's kind of coming across in the guest selection. Yeah, yeah. So I think the scope has widened ever so slightly, but it still always comes back to that yeah, kind of yeah. core idea. Yeah. Um, do you, just talking specifically about what you've done with, with the podcasters, with Scratching the Surface, have you, has, do you, has, has your definition of what like graphic design is expanded because I, I said it's, right. it's interesting because I think there's yeah. often there's you'll you'll often kind of characterize your point of view as being that of a graphic designer even when you're talking about architecture critic right. or technology right. critic and often I sort of sense that there's um, 
like the borders are very slippery in terms yeah, of what those things yeah. are. Um, has your idea about what constitutes what graphic design is? That's and a, yeah, that's a that's a that's the best question. I think about that all the time. Uh, I would say yes, it has changed. What it's changed to, I don't. I still don't know if I have an answer, which I think is why I keep doing these. Also, um, when I started, and even you know, this kind of goes back to even that kind of feeling I had working is, is, you know, is it just kind of this surface decoration? Is yeah, that, yeah. is that what it is? And I think even into the interviews, that's still how I approached it. Uh, and I've found the more people I talk to, the people in architecture or kind of different fields is that you can, there is the process part of it that, is part of the design right, also, right. and so there's things like strategy and um, you know planning and things that are often not talked about as graphic design, but I think are graphic design. Mm -hmm. I talked to Jeff Maynall uh, recently, and he ha he had this great yeah. definition where he said it was like you know if you think of graphic design as just arranging objects in physical space, suddenly a landscape could become graphic design when looked yeah, at yeah. aerially from a satellite, and I. That's really attractive to me. Yeah. I'm not sure I totally am on board with that definition yet, but I like that a lot, and I'm very interested in. And I, and I also noticed in that particular interview, he said something that really appeared to resonate with you, and that others have said versions of this, which is that uh, uh, Jeff's interest, like he's actually, he admitted he's not qualified yeah. Really yeah, in yeah, any yeah. way to write about architecture, but he's sort of when he started mapping all the things that he really yeah. cared about, yeah. Yeah. he figured that there was a big Venn diagram and the point of mutuality right. was something that you might be able to call architecture. Yeah. So if he sort of said, okay, I'll start with architecture and I'll use that as an excuse to talk about all these other things. Yeah. And I sense that you've, you've, come, you've come to think of graphic design as occupying a similar place. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I, that, uh, I talked to Carrie Jacobs recently, and she said the same thing, that she yeah. considers herself as a writer, a generalist, but uses design or architecture so she can kind of talk about all those other things. And I don't think I knew that until recently that, you know, I'm a, I'm a very curious person yeah, yeah. in general, and I like movies and books and politics and history, and that graphic design is actually a part of all of those mm -hmm. things, and that maybe that's where my interest in the subject comes from is this lens to talk about the world, really. Yeah, yeah, you know, once you think about it that way. Yeah, yeah. There's a, there's a, often in your conversations, you get to a point, and then like it, it'll have different um, <laughs> specific ways you yeah. will raise it, but a lot of times it, the, the implication behind it, I don't think we've ever come out and said it quite this bluntly, but is graphic design. Um, does graphic design have enough importance in the world to withstand this kind of scrutiny? Yeah. Like, for instance, yeah. I think yeah. when, you, when we, like, a lot of times um, uh, you'll raise, it's particularly if you're talking to an architecture critic, or even not an architecture critic, there sort of is this underlying idea that architects have critics at daily newspapers, they have this body of, of, um, of right. intellectual right. kind of analysis that graphic design has not yet developed. 
and 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 maybe uh, is doomed not to develop. Sort of depending on what right. your attitude is about that yeah. issue, yeah. you know. Because yeah. I think you know buildings are buildings, and they have they're things of consequence, and they have to be. The built environment is a real thing, and everyone has to engage with it. Yeah, I'm answering my own question, so go ahead. I lost a little bit of track of what yeah, the yeah. question was, but I'm going to try to answer yeah. what what I what I what I think about in regards to that. And it actually, this might have been a design observer. One of the pieces that really resonated with me when I was a kid is there was one about a building being knocked down or, or something. And there was a question of, is there any piece of graphic design that would get this sort of outrage? This was one of your pieces? Okay, I remember that being, and being very interested yeah, in yeah, that yeah. As, as a kid. Um, and so that's something that I think I've, I've always thought about. And so, if the question, if, if your question is, is graph, do I think graphic design is worthy yeah, of that? Yeah, yeah. That's, that's an easier way to put um, it. I would say yeah. yes, but not all graphic design. Yeah. And that's something that I've been trying to articulate through these also is that um, not all, let me think how to say this without it sounding bad, not all graphic design is of equal importance. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and there are some things that don't really need to have, right. you know, a 3,000 word yep. essay around it, and that's fine. And, but there are some that are worth talking about that have consequence in the world uh, that to just talk about them superficially is missing larger questions about, um, you know, the type of work that we do and kind of the way the industry works or the way we're perceived in the public or the way this thing promotes a certain ideology yeah. or changes things. Yeah. Um, and there are there are definitely, uh, is a good body of work of graphic design that needs and deserves that kind of discussion around mm -hmm. it, I think. Would you say as you've been having these conversations that your kind of view of this world has been filled in progressively as if, as if a big puzzle is being assembled or if a big painting is being uh, colored in or has it has it changed uh yes uh, both, yes both of those okay, i think i um the puzzle is being filled in but the puzzle is bigger than i thought it was yeah. i think so when i feel like it's it, it's that last jigsaw piece is in that it's like oh there's this whole other side that i haven't filled in yet mm -hmm. um so I think that's kind of how the podcast has sustained this long. I mean, yeah. even when I yeah. started, I, I did not, I'm not saying this out of any kind of arrogance or, or self-congratulations. Yeah. I did not think that there were going to be 50 yeah. of these. Yeah. Uh, I thought maybe, you know, maybe a dozen, maybe two dozen, and that I would get some sort of answer or have some sort of theory around it. And each one answers something and then asks new questions that's like oh i didn't you know i didn't think of that and then that sends me to a person that i maybe didn't even know about and then i talked to them yeah. so it's become this kind of as it fills in it also expands yeah yeah i think that's definitely true is there a um question you ask people that you know is the hardest question or that you've learned is the one that makes them stop uh there's I ask two questions at the end of every interview that I thought would be the easy questions, but they're the ones that tend to uh, 
challenge people the most, and it's kind of what are the issues designers need to be talking about today yeah. uh, that aren't being talked about, and that usually gives people pause. And then just the who who are you reading? Who do you who's doing the kind of writing that you're interested yeah. in? Who would you give? You know, if you had to give a reading list, someone who who would those people be? And that I think is just there are so many that yeah, people yeah. get kind of uh, like, oh, I don't know how to pick. Yeah. So I turn those questions on yeah, you. I knew that's just coming. <laughs> um, <laughs> I probably gave you enough time. Yeah. I um, for the issues that that we need to be talking about today, kind of where I've landed, I'm I'm very interested in the I. I end up using this word a lot now, but kind of the ideologies that design is, is promoting. Um, and I think this comes from, uh, when I was in school, I, in addition to my graphic design MFA, I had a concentration in critical yeah. theory. And so I was reading all these philosophers who I'd never read and for a long time was kind of struggling to connect them. Uh, but then kind of realizing that design is this physical manifestation of, of these Ideologies, and I think that's something important that yeah. we're not talking about, and kind of power and um, audience, and and who who receives the design, and what does that mean uh, is something that I think is important that's not really being talked about. Uh, and then I'm also really interested. I don't know if this is something I would say designers need to be talking about, but it's something I'm I'm interested in is kind of the future of, of the profession. And I don't mean that in the sense of are robots going to be designers, right. automation, anything like that, but just as the tools of the designer are democratized, that anybody can have a really powerful text or a photo editor on their computer, does that change what we do and how we work and what our services actually are, what we bring to the table when someone hires a graphic designer? Yeah. I think it's something that's really interesting. Yeah, I think both those things are interesting. The first thing about ideology really is fascinating. And I would, you can really see, at least I sensed very personally um, with uh, last year's election, yeah. this sense that, um, you know, having been a participant in it uh, in my own way, you know, the sense that we were, us designers felt we were making some sort of contribution. Right. And we, Really lost control of the nature of that contribution, or not? No, not to, no. I'd, yes, but I think we also just had such a had such clarity and confidence about what the, what the answer was. You know, right. you know, good design. The best candidates right. have the best design, and right. you just sort of see that not you know see that like you know arguably rejected outright yeah. for the same reasons that we were that that people were promoting it was like really like a stunning and and a thing that I that I've yet to really people raise it with me sometimes and I haven't thought it through and I'm not sure I'm capable of thinking it through. But I think it's it's always, you know, it's always been of interest, particularly to your critical yeah. theory people for sure. Yeah. But never actually put in, in direct terms in a communication age where suddenly uh, um, everyone's an expert about fonts and logos right. and, and right. You know, everyone can publish, everyone can design in a way, you know? Yeah, no yeah. I mean, and especially in regards to the election and the campaign, I think there's all sorts of different different angles you can take that of what is good design yeah. is, is a great question that I think that raises and is a great opportunity to talk about that. But then also, 
uh, again, kind of questions of audience and kind of where does this thing drop into the world, I think is really important. Yeah. And then, um, you know, I mean, I used to work at Facebook, so filter bubbles and when this stuff is stripped of context and is in a news feed where everything looks the same. And is equally legitimized. Right. Yeah. That's a design question yeah, yeah. that I feel like people aren't really talking about. I'm, people who are not designers are talking about it a lot, but I'm not seeing it as a design question posed often. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and um, the responsibility that anyone participating yeah. has in being complicit with whatever it is that's happening right, if anyone right. can figure it out. You know? Right. So, yeah, no, I, th I think that's a good yeah. answer to that. Okay, thanks. Um, and then um, uh, I, I won't ask you like who we should be reading, but um, unless you want to answer that. But I would also say like um, some of the answers on those questions have been the things that have made me either pull out a pencil if I've got oh, good. if I'm in a position to do it, or go to the show notes and look it up afterwards. Yeah. So um, are there ones that really? How is your purview of of, of the writing about design and things we could read expanded over the course um, of those episodes? That's a great question. Um, there are, I'm going to answer that in two ways. There are a couple pieces that previous guests have recommended that I think have shaped how I ask later questions. Uh, and the first one was uh, Michael Rock, who was like my fourth interview, and he recommended two things. Uh, one was Bruno Latour's mm -hmm. A Cautious Prometheus that really shaped, I think, a lot of the questions I asked. And then he talked about Mark Wigley's uh, Are We Human yeah. book, which I bring up, you know, in every episode. And that that shaped me a lot. And then you recommended uh, Lorraine Wilde's Castles Made of Sand, yeah. which I had read a long time ago and completely forgot about. And that is one that has stuck with me that I recommend to a lot of people now. Um, and then also, so those are kind of the specific pieces that I think have really shaped future episodes. But the other piece of this is kind of the other things I'm reading that aren't designed that I think yeah, have yeah. filtered in. And that started, especially when I interviewed Sarah Watson, who was yeah, a technology yeah, yeah. critic. Um, and that was right after the election, actually, yeah. which I think really shifted the focus. And that's looking at things that are not just kind of reviews, but go deeper and start to look at kind of historical context, cultural context. And so when I started this, I was very interested in how does graphic design get what architecture has? Is basically yeah. kind of yeah. simply. And now I found that there's a lot of really good technology writing that yeah. relates directly to design. There's a lot of good media criticism that is very much a design. Um, Daniel Borston's book, The Image, is mm -hmm. one that I think about basically every day now. Yeah. Um, and a lot of film criticism, and not movie reviews, but kind of actual criticism is something that actually I feel like there's a lot that designers can take from. And then I'm, I'm glad you you landed with that film criticism as an example because uh, um, one of the topics you return to, and you come at it from different angles, has to do with a question you'll ask a lot, so particularly to a practicing designer, is uh, um, you know, how does the writing and criticism you've engaged with affect the way you think about design, yeah. the way you do design? Yeah. And then, and, but I've noticed you have, there's a different issue that will arise when you're yeah. talking to kind of writers who are not designers. Uh, and often they'll sort of say that, they'll, they'll sort of look with kind of curiosity, if not 
if not skepticism, at a field where so many of the practitioners in it are the ones that are writing about it. Right. And I think you've been really candid and gotten candid responses from people about kind of, you know, the way you're inhibited from really writing about, you know, about what it is you do or even, mm -hmm. you know, because you're hesitant to kind of either bite the hand that feeds you to kind of jump on right. colleagues, right. Right. all sorts of different things. So I think that idea of like the writer practitioner comes up a lot. And, yeah. the, and, the, and the, it's funny because the model that I thought of um, particularly is, yeah. is like, you know, the, the French New Wave yep. writers, yep. Yep. right? So yep. you have like those guys yep. who actually were easy to dismiss as critics, people like Godard or Truffaut. Yeah. Yeah. And you think about um, the interviews they did, Truffaut's interviews with Hitchcock, <laughs> yeah. which... Yeah which are irreplaceable partly because he's asking these questions filmmaker to filmmaker in a way. Right. And a regular person right. from the film press would never have gone yeah. quite as deep yeah. with those questions and probably elicited the same yeah. degree of trust yeah. that he got from Hitchcock, right? So I sort of like, I mean, you are the propos. <laughs> yeah, uh, well, I, I don't know if I would say that. But, <laughs> but, uh, but so, can you talk about that dynamic? There's so many ways to approach it. Yeah, um, let me try to pick that apart a little bit. I, the French New Wave and that kind of that group of critics who then went on to make movies is something that's very influential in the way yeah. that I've thought about this. So I'm, I love that you brought that up. Um, and I think I don't know if this is exactly what what you're asking, but again, I'm just going to kind of say what I thought going into this project, and now a year later, kind of where I've landed is that I thought I was saying that we need people outside of the profession to be talking about. Uh, which I still think would be helpful, but I don't know if it's necessary. What I do think is those of us inside the profession are the ones who are kind of most uh, ready to raise these discussions. Mm -hmm. uh, and so it's kind of up to us to be talking about it, to be raising these questions. And then backing it up with the work that we do yeah, yeah. also um and that you know we should i don't i don't know exactly how how to how to say this um we are the ones that are doing it also so yeah. it isn't just we should be talking about it but then you know doing it also mm -hmm. and we have the knowledge of that whole process so the way um you know Truffaut talks to hitchcock he understands how to make a, a movie so you can talk about all those pieces and I think that's the value that a practitioner who's also a critic or a writer has right. is that they can talk about working with clients to the visuals to the process in a way that an outside critic wouldn't have that full, yeah, yeah. full view. Yeah, and there also is um, um, one of the things I like about the podcast is often I'll finish an episode and I'll just be excited about some sort of, you yeah. know, a, a, a path that wasn't pursued or an idea that I'll come up with my own, right. you know, right. third right. idea that you and your interview subject didn't come up with. And one right. of and there's a curious one. You talked about people from outside of the profession writing about it, right? Yeah. So like yeah. professional writers who somehow have to be motivated to write about yeah. graphic design. And one of the things that you sort of get a little bit of this occasionally when you're talking to professional critics, let's say, yeah, yeah. Um, where you really realize that there's this, you know, economic system right. that compensates writers, but somehow it's 
underlying their compensation is this sense that they're going to be delivering an audience to advertisers. Right. So right. the reason there are all these really interesting architecture critics in theory, you could say, is because there will always be room for ads about condominiums in newspapers and magazines, right? right? You could say that there's an obviously film criticism. It's yeah. like at, yeah. at, at the base of it, it's like it's like consumer reporting. You know, people just want to know should I see this movie or right. not. And then right. the highest end of that is deep, deep, interesting right. media criticism. But at the lowest end is just like thumbs up, thumbs down. Should I go? Yeah. Should I pay my money on Friday night? Right. Yeah. And I think what I've often noticed is that there just isn't you know that economic. Um, driver that would sustain that someone would say, yeah, we need to cover graphic design more so we can get more people interested in graphic design to read our publications so that they will then what? Right. Like, not right. buy specified paper, buy fonts, you know, I mean, those yeah. people, you know, there's, yeah. there's like little, um, <laughs> right. you know, right, right. they're sequestered off. So I think um, uh, it, it, it may, you know, it, the, sort of the economic model that sort of drives that sort of Journalism and criticism may be non-existent. I, I think that's the biggest question that I have yet to find an answer to. Uh, is how is this actually supported? Yeah. Uh, and if I've I've learned so much from all of these interviews, but the one thing that that was very surprising to me is that there actually is an audience for this type of deeper critical discourse. Yeah. I thought there were maybe you know, 50 people yeah. in the world who were interested in this. And it turns out there's a lot more. And, yeah. you know, people people tell me this all the time. It's like, oh, this is something I've been thinking about. And I, you know, no one was talking about this. And so the audience is there. But how you support that financially is still the missing piece. I don't have an answer for yeah. that. I don't know how to do that. Do you, have, um, do you have blind spots? Are there things that you think are... That you think are are somehow part of this world that somehow you haven't kind of like come up with the ways to talk about yet. Yes, uh, the biggest one for me is, and my biggest kind of frustration with the podcast so far is it's still very American and European. Yeah, and I would love to talk to people who are not American or European about how design functions in other parts of the world and what type of discourses there are around yeah. design in other parts of the world. And I don't, that is a complete blind spot. And I don't even, I'm not even sure totally how to begin, which is embarrassing to yeah. say, but uh, I would love to expand that scope. Um, and then the other thing that I think I've, that's the biggest one. And the, a little one is, I don't think I'm, as well versed in design history as I would mm -hmm. like to be. I have a good, you know, knowledge of it, but there's a lot of, uh, there's, I think you could argue there's kind of multiple histories of design. And I learned that standard kind of modernist one. And I would love to find right. who were the kind of counter cultural designers of their time also. And how can we talk about them and what can we learn from them also, I think would be, Interesting. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Do you, um, um, I think in one of your, one of the most recent podcasts I listened to you, I, there was a moment, it, it might have been the one with Sarah, no, um, Hannah. Hannah, Hannah Ellis. Hannah yeah. Ellis. It may have come up in that one where the idea of 
it wasn't put in these terms, but the implication was having almost like a hostile interview, or is there, you know, do oh, you feel yeah, like you're talking yeah, to yeah, people who yeah, disagree yeah, with yeah, you yeah, all yeah, the time? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, like, I mean, that's, that's, that's not, I don't think it's necessarily un, uncharted territory, but for instance, I've noticed that um, just as, as when I'm kind of promoting, doing what I think is promoting a broad yeah. view of our profession, I'm criticizing, and I take this criticism really seriously, of just being a print designer who doesn't get what, oh, interesting. Um, what a digital designer cares about and doesn't huh. get what, you know, what issues are important for them. <laughs> and occasionally I'll stumble into a tw Twitter thread or something that's people hotly debating something that has to do with the deep end of technology, like yeah. well beyond yeah. kerning pairs and like way into, you know, sort of the, the stuff that's under the stuff that's under the right. stuff that's under all the stuff we actually right. see. And I realize that there's this giant submerged iceberg that actually may be more important, you know, that yeah. might be called algorithms or might be called whatever the hell they are, right. that actually is dictating a lot more than the choices that I'm permitted to make when I arrive in the last three minutes of the uh, process to kind of do my yeah. little bit of a decoration. And I just, uh, you know, and, and to me, I wonder, not necessarily a hostile audience, but one that really is sort of like, you know, further afield. Yeah, that's a great, that's a great question. I, th I think, you know, kind of how I mentioned earlier that I feel like the scope is widening kind of ever so slightly. Yeah. My hope is that the people I talk to kind of introduce me to those mm -hmm. other things so I can start to include those in this discourse that's kind of forming around this podcast and the people that I'm talking to. So I know I'm, I'm very aware that there are things that I have no idea about that I would like to know more about and I'm kind of hoping that the people I talk to will get me there mm -hmm. somehow. And then I want to go back to kind of the first part of your question which is something that I have struggled with a lot is one, what is my role as an interviewer? I had never interviewed anybody no. before I did this so I'm kind of making this up as I go and would do I talk to people who I disagree with? Mm -hmm. Or am I only talking to the people who are doing the work that I like? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and I, I struggle with that. I wonder, am I being too, too biased? Um, and, uh, you know, while this was still a thesis project, I had advisors say, like, you should have more kind of debate, you should have argument, it should get, you yeah. know, kind of, uh, you know, louder and get people angry and things. And, that appeals to me a little bit, but I, that's, I've come to realize that that's not me. <laughs> um, and I can't do that. And that there are people I've talked to who have said things that I've disagreed with and I just kind of let it go. Yeah. Um, and I've wondered if that's what I should be doing. Uh, and then the second part of that is, or like the, the question behind the question then is, what is my role in this conversation? Yeah, Am yeah. I just asking what your opinion right, is? Right. Or is this a conversation? And I've found that the more I kind of add myself to, to the conversation and ask questions that are just interesting to me selfishly because of what I'm working on at the time, that becomes a much more interesting conversation, yeah, I yeah. think. And that as much as I maybe don't want to be a character in this, that 
it's very much driven by my interests and I can't really deny that. And so I've kind of just leaned into, I'm going to kind of just follow whatever I'm yeah, interested yeah, in. Yeah. And, you know, some people might like that and some people might not, but that's kind of the only way I really know how to go, go about it at this point. Yeah. Do you have um, 50 more people you could talk to? I think so. I don't know if I have 50. I have, a, I have a good list of people that I would still like to talk to that I have not gotten a chance to yet. Yeah, no, I, I, I think you could uh, do another 50 and then see what lies so. beyond that. I think Fingers it's crossed. been a great project and I congratulate you on it. Oh, thank, thank you, you so you. much. Thanks. And thanks for, for doing this and celebrating <laughs> one year with me. And happy birthday. <laughs> thanks. And even, I mean, I mentioned it earlier, but even just... You know, when I reached out to you, we didn't know each other. Yeah. Uh, you didn't know what this was. And we sat and we had a great conversation and that influenced later ones. So thank you yeah, also. My pleasure. This episode was recorded on October 9th, 2017 in New York City. Our theme music is by Andy Borgasani. We're on Twitter and Instagram at Surface Podcast. You can find us on Apple Podcasts and SoundCloud and at scratchingthesurface.fm. Thanks for listening. <laughs>